Hello, everyone. You're listening to Oral Traditions. My name is Erin McCarthy, Interim Chair of the Communication Department at Columbia College Chicago. The stories we are about to share are by students in the 2021 Oral Traditions class. In this episode, we explore the many nuances of life during the time of a pandemic. Outside of school, personal lives came to a halt in 2020 as well. Hello, everyone. My name is Chris Thurston, and I'm here with my wife, Emily. Hello. And we are here to talk about how we've had to plan our wedding three separate times due to the COVID-19 pandemic. The COVID-19 pandemic has provided different obstacles within all of our lives. My story began before COVID on July 15 of 2018, when I proposed to the love of my life, Emily. Soon after, we began to develop our wedding plans. This planning continued through an Afghanistan deployment, three moves, and a worldwide pandemic. For this reason, many of our ideas and plans came to a halt, and we were forced to accept the reality that we would be having our wedding much later. Fast forward to April 2021, and we are finishing the last preparations, but for the third time. In 2017, I met Emily in an airport after she gave me her number on her plane ticket. From then on, we were in a long-distance relationship while I was in the Marine Corps, serving as a Persian Farsi linguist. Eventually, she moved to North Carolina, where I was stationed, and we began renting a house together. During this time, I was given the news that I would be deploying to Afghanistan in late 2018. At the time, Emily and I knew that we wanted to be married, Therefore, before the deployment, we made the decision to elope in a courthouse after the proposal in July. This gave us the joint finances that we were seeking. However, we still both wanted that extravagant wedding. So the planning began. But as soon as the planning began, I was leaving for Afghanistan. And this provided a major obstacle to wedding planning. And this was something that neither of us had ever dealt with. It was a nine-month deployment in which I was deploying to southern Afghanistan, providing Pashto and Farsi translation as a linguist. This was a unique experience for me and my wife individually. In my situation, I was constantly working with little time to focus on things back home. With this being said, I still provided input on wedding planning and I made sure that my vision was not left out of the picture. My wife handled quite a bit though and her experience being apart during the deployment was much different for her than it was for me. She was able to notice the obstacles that this provided for wedding planning. Yeah, so it was a unique experience having to essentially plan the wedding by myself. The I think the biggest obstacle that we faced was figuring out our venue because we were not both there to see the venue. We weren't there to actually tour the space, to talk to any of the workers, to see any pictures. I was. I was there for all of that. And in fact, I had his mom and his two of his sisters come along to a couple of the venues that I saw, but it just wasn't the same as him actually being there to see those venues and help me in making that choice. So the best we could do was I was able to Skype him, I think, for one tour of one of the places that we saw. And for all the rest of them, I had to take a whole bunch of pictures, maybe make a voice recording or two, take a bunch of notes, and send that all to him. And essentially just get his opinion when he woke up on the other side of the world. And it was a back and forth for most of the process, and that was very, very difficult. And it was hard, I mean, just being apart from him anyway, just on the deployment. And deployment is difficult regardless of whether you're planning anything or not. So to have to plan a wedding 
on top of that and to feel the responsibility to not only get it done, but also to make sure that all of his visions and all everything that he wanted was still included somehow without him being there. So it was it was a difficult process, but we did end up ultimately both deciding on a venue that we both loved. His mom did mm-hmm. see it as well as my mom. So we did overcome that obstacle, but it was very, very difficult having to do that alone, for sure. And luckily, in 2019, things were really alleviated. And we'd finally been reunited after just nine months, and it was it was just awesome. But promptly after I got home from Afghanistan, I reached the end of my five-year contract in the Marine Corps. And I separated in September of 2019. And after that, we just we moved back to southern Illinois with Emily and her family. And just being separated from the military, I finally had time to recover from the deployment. And this gave us a chance to finally begin wrapping up some of the finishing touches on the wedding. At this point, we had a lot more time to plan the wedding together too, and we actually started really enjoying it. We made plans to have the wedding in May of 2020. There were many life events that occurred simultaneously with this. When we were in Southern Illinois, we began saving up, saving up and preparing for our move to Chicago. Upon moving to Chicago, my plan was to attend Columbia Columbia College for the spring 2020 semester, and Emily was going to begin her musical theater career. In January of 2020, we made the big move to Chicago, and we found a small one-bedroom apartment in the South Loop. It was located within walking distance of Columbia's campus, making it very convenient for my first semester. Upon moving to Chicago, everything was going very well with my school, and Emily was getting her foot in the door to Chicago's acting community, with roles in Chicago Med, Chicago Fire, and a web series. We were both enjoying our time in Chicago. However, this was short-lived. In late March of 2020, the COVID-19 stay-at-home order began, and at this point, all classes went online, and many businesses deemed non-essential were forced to shut down. This made for a completely different experience from what we had expected when moving to Chicago. It was as if Chicago had taken a completely different form in the wake of the pandemic. At this point, we were in a lot of disarray, along with most of the world. Regarding wedding planning, Upon the stay-at-home order, we were up in the air on whether or not we wanted to reschedule the wedding and send out new save-the-dates. We ended up making the decision to postpone the wedding to later in June of 2020 in hopes that the pandemic would be under control by then. Unfortunately, as we all know, the pandemic only got worse from there. June came around and we had another decision to make. This was a difficult decision as it would be the second time rescheduling, so we gave it some time and deliberated on it for a while. In late June, with the severity of the pandemic increasing, we decided to push the wedding date back an entire year to June 5th of 2021. After rescheduling for the final time, we began seriously wedding planning for the third time. This provided a lot of anxiety, however, we persevered with the hope that this would be the final time we had to plan. As the pandemic worsened, even more life events were presented. We made yet another move out of downtown Chicago and into Logan Square, This move provided us with a lot of needed social and financial breathing room from the crowded quarantine city. Having a bigger and more peaceful space without the stress of living downtown contributed to creating a better environment for planning the wedding, in that we were much more motivated. The final wedding planning process was able to be conducted between us both and we both provided input on the final details. It has still been stressful and overwhelming at times, however everything has begun lining up near the end. We have secured most of the services we need, and with every goal accomplished, we gain more confidence. Emily, do you have anything that you could provide regarding insight on the final planning process and how you feel during this time? 
So we did have to obviously move all of the vendors. We had to change a couple of vendors. So that was something that I think was one of the more stressful things of this third and final planning process. We had to secure a new DJ, which we did just get done, thank goodness. We had to secure a new photographer that we got just about a month ago now. And we are, we're, I mean, we're wrapping up the final details. It's, it's still slightly stressful because like I said, we've had to schedule and reschedule and reschedule with multiple vendors now. So things have been rearranged, but we're on the final leg of it. It's becoming less and less stressful every day, the closer that we get to it. And we're focusing more on smaller planning details now, which I think is a good sign that we're getting towards the end of it. We're thinking about things that we're gonna wear rather than, you know, who we're gonna hire for the big day. So I think it's a good sign that we're finally towards the end of the process and we can see the so-called light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, so with all that being said, all of the final planning is now wrapping up and there's an overall sense of relief in knowing that this is the final time planning. There's there's just a lot of comfort in knowing that all of our current plans will become a reality this time rather than being washed away by a world pandemic. Furthermore, with over 31% of the U.S. population vaccinated, Emily and I are confident about this wedding, especially having been vaccinated ourselves, and there's comfort in knowing that everyone will be healthy and safe. Overall, we have both learned many lessons from this wedding planning experience, and it has been a journey that has played a part in developing our relationship. When we were initially planning this wedding, it seemed that many of the details down to the smallest item were what mattered. However, upon rescheduling for the second time and reflecting back on it, we have both come to realize that what truly matters is happy and healthy family and friends showing up to witness the union of two people. The pandemic has highlighted the human aspect of many things and made society question morality, in turn detracting from the material world. It has made us realize what was truly important all along. Planning three weddings during a pandemic seems like quite the challenge, but the third time was the charm as Emily and Chris finally got married June 5th in St. Louis. Now we have Tanya Williams sharing her struggles with classes over the past year. During the coronavirus pandemic, none of us knew how our future would change. As a transfer student, Tanya believes students must focus on the goal ahead and not get lost in doubt. When I transferred to Columbia College Chicago, I didn't have a lot of friends living in Chicago because I had made a lot of friends while I was away at Boston College for my first year. So I expected to make friends at Columbia. I was connecting with people and often stay after class later to receive help with assignments. My grades were great and I was very motivated. A dangerous virus is spreading rapidly in China and U.S. officials are very worried that it could come here. China has more than 200 confirmed cases of coronavirus, it's called, which produces pneumonia-like symptoms. Three people have already died from this illness. When information about the coronavirus was first being discovered and being made a real issue in December of 2019, a lot of information was hearsay, and it was hard to determine what information was true. Once it became a serious issue and states were being placed on lockdown, that is when it became scary. Columbia decided to cancel classes until further notice, which brought me even more stress and anxiety about my academic career. 
I was uncertain about my future, and I was uncertain about the reality of my college experience. I began to question if college was the right path for me, and if it wasn't, then what was? Columbia announced that we would continue the semester online, and I had never done online classes, so I fear I would have a hard time finishing the semester. This made me question if I should continue to attend college during this pandemic, or if I should take a break and return once the pandemic was resolved. However, the end was unclear, so I decided to continue my college journey. The stay-at-home advisory in Chicago encourages residents to stay at home as much as possible for 30 days, only leaving to go to work or school or for essential needs like groceries. No gatherings in your home with anybody outside of your household, including for Thanksgiving, and avoid all non-essential out-of-state travel. I began to feel very overwhelmed and stressed. I allowed this to impact my work ethic and motivation for going to class. I began to miss a lot of classes and I stopped taking advantage of help after class or the other tutoring opportunities offered at Columbia. Being online made me feel as though I was alone and I missed the in-person classes. I lost touch with people I was connecting with and I let depressing thoughts take over due to being on lockdown and stuck at home. My grades were bad and for one of my classes, I had to decide to change it to a pass-fail course because I was failing and didn't want the bad grade on my transcript. By the end of the semester, I had passed all my classes and I couldn't wait for the fall break. However, I knew that I had to make a positive change for the next semester, seeing that classes would still be online. During fall break, I took time to think about my goals and steps I must take to reach those goals. One of those steps are graduating from Columbia College, Chicago. Moreover, I came up with ways to be more successful online. I decided to write down and set reminders for my homework assignments in order to become more organized. I told myself that I will always email professors if I am confused about or need help with assignments. I still struggle with attending classes and being focused because I have long classes and Zoom meetings can become so draining. So I made sure to sit up during class and not attend meetings in my bed so I'm more focused. Now that students are going to be going back to in-person classes, it feels like my first day at Columbia all over again when I was nervous and anxious. Online classes were very convenient because I can go to class in my living room. So I expect to struggle with getting back adjusted to this new schedule of having to leave my home to go to class. However, to make this adjustment easier for me, I will continue to use my organizational skills for the upcoming semester. During this pandemic, I was able to learn that I must have a strict schedule and structure in order to prosper. Without experiencing this drastic change in my life, I would not have been able to learn this important aspect about myself. Online school was a bump none of us were prepared for. But Tanya shows that with little changes to her routine, college is a challenge she knows how to face. You're listening to Oral Traditions, a three-part series of personal stories centering on life and family in a time of uncertainty from WCRX-FM and Columbia College, Chicago. Students aren't the only ones who struggle during this time. Teachers from kindergarten to college have to adapt to this unexpected occurrence. Jalen Benson gives us a firsthand look at how hard it is for educators 
by talking to his mother, Latasha Abernathy, a child welfare attendant working with special needs children. It was a big shock for teachers to lose that face-to-face interaction with their students, and Latasha shares what she misses the most while working remotely. First thing is to really come in and um, get them started with breakfast and make sure that they uh, get right into routine. Everything is based on the schedule because special needs children need a routine. Uh, Well, what is it throughout the day? You mentioned breakfast in the morning, but what about? Well, I mean, throughout the day, uh, we transition them in and out of different classes. First thing, they go into their main class, their homeroom, they check their schedules, hang up their book bags, and get ready for table time. Table time consists of doing data collection work, which is, for them, their educational work, but it also lets us know where they are educationally and help us to set goals for them. How well did you know how to use Zoom before this pandemic hit? Not at all, because it wasn't required. I mean, working, like I said, with special needs children is very much hands-on. And um, to be totally honest, now that school is reopening, we've been back since January. Special needs children have uh, were the first to go back on a full-time basis. It's very hard for them for Zoom. So my usage of Zoom was minimal prior to the pandemic. Did the school try to encourage parents to make their kids go on Zoom? If so, how did they do that? Well, uh, reach out to parents. um, Try to work within parents' work schedules because some parents um, still had to work although their children were at home. Try to reach out to uh, those grandparents and aunties and uncles that stepped in for parents. But still with all of those people reaching out and all of those uh, administration calls and everything, it still still didn't bring all the children to the Zoom class. So, What is one thing that did translate to online learning? Well, with the kids, because they love computers, some kids were able to stay engaged a little bit longer. I was able to take kids on virtual tours. So we would go to a museum on a roller coaster on a hayride. So kids that normally may not see these things or never had that experience got to see them in um, virtual through Zoom. All right, so now that you're back to in-person learning, how many people, I mean, how many children have returned to the classroom? In my classroom, we have half our students. The school has a third of the students. What has been the biggest adjustments to getting your class back into a steady routine? The biggest adjustment is, like I said, um, trying to keep our kids to follow the COVID safety protocols. What would you do differently now that you're going through this um, pandemic? Is there anything that you're taking away from it? That's hard to say. I mean, because I feel like that we are all working under very 
difficult circumstances. Because not only do I have in-person kids, but I do have to maintain virtual at the same time. While we are doing in-person, we also have to tend to the kids that would normally be there in-person on the computer. So that's a lot of noise. It's a, it's a, it's a lot. So I think right now, for me and the situation of working with special needs children, it makes the job harder. You can't fully connect with the kids online and you can't fully give the, the attention to the kids in the classroom because you also have to pay attention to the kids online. Do you think, do you wish your school would do anything different as far as? Well, um, my school has really opened up to trying to bring um, the majority of the kids back to school in a full-time basis. But until society feels comfortable, be it parents with their children, be it teachers, be it aides, until society as a whole feel comfortable, it's really a difficult situation. All right, for my last question, um, what do you think would be the number one lasting effect on your students as far as the year that they had to miss due to the pandemic? All students are going to be behind. There are very few students that would be at their grade levels. They would really have to have that true home support mm. because the average day of virtual is half of that of a real day of school. So the learning is cut in half. And then you have the social emotional learning, which is really just kids interacting. You got kids missing sports. You got kids missing clubs. Um, the things that they would be preparing themselves for for college. So I, I don't, what kids have missed in this year plus of being out of school is something that they will never get back. And to be totally honest, I feel that the American students are going to be way behind the rest of the world. You're listening to Oral Traditions, a three-part series of personal stories centering on life and family in a time of uncertainty from WCRX-FM and Columbia College Chicago. Internal battles can be the hardest to fight, especially during the year 2020. Shane Verkest informs us that even though the weight of the year still feels heavy, it's important to look back and count the positives. To say it's been a hard year is the understatement of the century. 2020 took something from just about everyone, and although things are getting better, we're still not completely out of the woods. However, we are deep enough into this mess to be able to look back and to reflect. It's been over a year after all. So today I want to do just that. And instead of talking about what I lost, I want to share something that I gained. Specifically, I learned the importance of mental health and just how bad things can get if you leave it unchecked. So without further ado, this is the story of my fight with mental health during the pandemic. For me, it was anxiety, but for you, it could have been any number of things. Mental health is something we all deal with just like COVID was. We all get depressed. We all get anxious. It's part of being human. The trick is recognizing when it's a problem. For me, all it took was a once-in-a-lifetime earth-shattering pandemic. So, easy breezy, 
When I imagined my young adult life, and I did quite often growing up, I'm very certain earth-shattering pandemic was not something I was putting on my vision board. Yet I learned fast that the most formative things in life are not planned, nor are they rarely actually wanted. So there I was, sitting in my dorm room that had just begun to feel like home, and I was hit with the biggest curveball in my entire life. I was going home early. Colleges and universities across the region are shifting to online learning and urging students to stay away from campus for at least the next several weeks as they grapple with the coronavirus pandemic. Making the move to Chicago from my small Michigan town was a huge process for me, and yet there I was, sitting in the same high school bedroom I was in less than a year earlier. I was confused, frustrated, but more than anything, I was anxious. Something I was very used to, but this time, it felt different. See, I had always been anxious growing up as a kid, but anxiety is fickle in that way. When you're a kid, you're anxious about tests and school, things that don't really matter that much, low-stakes situations. And to an extent, most people grow out of that. The problem is when anxiety follows you into adult life, because in adult life, the problems are a little bit higher stakes. Suddenly, these same feelings I hadn't had since I was in middle school were back, except my problems were a lot bigger. When I had first gotten to college, I was about the most confident I'd ever been. I was riding the high of being a college freshman, making new friends, discovering a new city. It was incredible. And when the pandemic took that all away, my confidence was stripped away as well. And behind that confidence was fear. I was worried about the pandemic, the state of the world as a whole. No one had faced anything like this before. Was I going to be okay? Was my family going to be okay? But more selfishly, I worried about myself. What would this mean for me, my girlfriend who I'd met at school who lives states away? My career, which I hoped to advance by moving to Chicago. My education, which I had gone to Chicago to get. When will this be over? Will I get a college experience? All these questions swirled in my head. The world never felt more dark, and honestly, it just made sense to be scared. Everybody experiences anxiety, but there has never been a situation where the entire world was terrified together. It felt like the smart thing to be. But every day I was worrying, I was realizing more and more that that fear was separate from the circumstance. I realized my anxiety had gone up tenfolds in every capacity, not just about the pandemic. Every facet of my life became something to hyper-focus on. And having nothing to do in quarantine, and only myself and my thoughts in my high school bedroom, was the perfect breeding ground for anxiety to really come alive. It's like I could just hear the clock constantly ticking and droning on in the background. My early lockdown days blended together and dragged on all at the same time. I was aimless. I had nothing to do, nothing I could do. It was something I'd never experienced before. It was around June of that year when things started to cool off a little bit. The weather warmed up, you could do activities outside, and for a brief moment in the summer, in Michigan at least, it almost felt like we were done with the pandemic, even though we were far from it. Restaurants began opening up, and I was able to see friends again, albeit socially distancing. But as we slowly came out of extreme quarantine, albeit probably misguidedly, I realized that the anxiety that I was experiencing in that environment was following me out of it. When I hung out with friends, I felt more socially awkward and nervous. Things that used to not bother me began to worry me. I didn't feel like myself. And that's when I realized this anxiety that I was experiencing was not a matter of circumstance. It was my new normal, and I needed help. That's when I decided to make the change. And I began seeing a therapist and talking through my problems. 
I began taking natural supplements. I'm still too chicken to get on Xanax or any heavy medication, but I find that ashwagandha and even CBD oil work incredibly well. And honestly, therapy didn't come naturally to me at first, but after a few sessions, I was already starting to feel better. Look, my journey is far from over. I still have a long way to go, as anxiety isn't something you ever completely get rid of, but rather something you learn to live with and manage. And although some people have it worse than others, anxiety is truly something we all experience in one way or another. For so long, I used that fact as a reason to not get help. The world was a dark place. I needed to get myself together. But it wasn't until I acknowledged and started treating it that I actually started to get better. I feel more confident than ever right now. And that's because I have a hold on the issue. I took the scariest first step, acknowledged the problem, and got help. I started my journey. And sometimes the most important step is the first one. Hearing all these stories reminds us we are not alone. The pandemic has been a challenge, but by sharing our experiences, hopefully we can stay strong together. You've been listening to Oral Traditions. I'm your host, Erin McCarthy, Interim Chair of the Communication Department at Columbia College Chicago. I want to thank the students for sharing these truthful and inspiring stories. During this time, it's so important to hear each other and to embrace the fact that we are not alone. Join us for episode three of our three-part series of Oral Traditions, or find us anywhere you listen to podcasts by searching Oral Traditions. This is a collaboration between the Department of Communication and WCRX-FM. The show was produced by Shelby Steele. Thanks for listening.